0: I'm Laura Phillips, and you're listening to a podcast by Hip V Hype, where we discuss new ideas around housing, sustainability, and climate action to explore ways to support the sustainable growth of our cities and regions. We respectfully acknowledge that Hypecast is recorded on traditional Aboriginal lands which have been sustained for thousands of years. We honour their ongoing connection to these lands and seek to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians. With our ample solar and wind power resources, Australia has the opportunity to lead the global transition to a net zero economy. Transport currently contributes 17% of Australia's total carbon emissions, with internal combustible engine or ice vehicles responsible for around half those emissions. Electric vehicles, when complemented by a diversified public and active transport system, are essential to reducing our emissions. However, at around double the cost of an average vehicle, EVs are beyond the reach of many Australians. Today I sit down with Tim Washington, founder of Jet Charge and ChargeFox, and Liam Wallace, Director at Hip to discuss how transitioning to electric vehicles is critical to reducing our emissions, improving public health, and driving the growth of a clean energy economy. So Tim, can you tell us about how you came to start Jet Charge and ChargeFox?
1: Yeah, sure. So I started Jet Charge back in 2013 and essentially it was really nothing super ambitious. We just finished off a family business doing textiles so I don't I didn't come from an environmental background or an engineering background I actually used to be a corporate lawyer but I started JetCharge because I wanted to do something that was geeky I wanted to do something that was tech and focused. it was actually my wife who at the time was more environmentally focused than me and said well if I'm going to be supporting you for a year you better be doing something that we can be proud of. And I don't want you to create another food delivery business. Well, fair enough. Um, So we combined all of those things and we started looking at electric vehicles. Back then it was just Nissan, Mitsubishi a little bit and Tesla. And I said, well, I don't really know anything about electric vehicles, but what about charging? That seems to be something that's quite interesting. And so that's how we started. And our dream very early on was just to have a specialist service where we installed charging stations for people's really expensive electric and it was just something in my gut that says if you can fill up at home instead of going to a petrol station that has to mean something that has to mean something significant i wasn't really sure like what that was but it felt significant to me and i think that kind of general ethos has continued and it is significant because you completely decentralize fueling and the more you think about it the more you research it the more you realize well you know this is a big deal and i think now looking back at it it's kind of like being born again right because back when i started i wasn't that really it's not like i didn't think global warming was happening or anything it just wasn't top of mind i was a kind of know grade one capitalist if essentially but these things the more you educate yourself the more you realize how important it is that we take action on climate and so you end up being extremely passionate about the subject because you just learn more Mm -hmm. it's just pure ignorance that i didn't care about it at the time Mm -hmm. but i think it's as you learn more and you dedicate more of your time to it it's almost impossible not to care so that's how i started jet charge and then charge fox was born four years ago Us and a company called cogent which is a software business we got together and we started a software business to manage charging stations and how it came about was actually i was sitting in a room with the federal government and they asked me oh tim what do you think apart from price is the biggest impediment to ev uptake and i said it's actually the dealers the dealers really need to be able to tell people you can drive from melbourne to sydney and right now unless you own a tesla you can't drive from melbourne to sydney you need a highway that connects all the major cities so that dealers can tell their customers they can drive long distances and um the the federal government at that time said to me well how much would that cost and i said "Oh, i don't know 25 mil and they said oh that's 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 nothing like why don't you put together a business case and we'll fund it i was like all right so we put together a business case and we took it to them they didn't fund it but it kind of spurred the conversation and eventually the australian renewable energy agency helped us kind of roll the first network out and we've just finished that so it's connecting all the major highways and that's kind of how the two two were born but you know kind of thinking about how long we've been doing this now it's kind of almost daunting to think about how early we are mm. in this piece you kind of go how we've been doing it for so long but we haven't even started really in the industry
0: that you know leads into the next question about you know what you see is the the current physical and regulatory barriers and Liam can speak to on an individual project basis the cha- challenges faced
1: I think a lot of the challenges are actually theoretical and mental they're actually not real and so people have this attitude where to buy an electric vehicle they have to have a charging station at every petrol station but the reality is that the experience is much better than that if you can in, if you can charge in your own garage or in your own car space in an apartment you don't need to go to a petrol station so charging barriers are almost not really there they are there for people with no off-street parking but for most people they're not there on the price side obviously it's just one of those things price has to come down you can get an electric vehicle now for under 40000 with the Victorian government rebate. So we're really getting there. We're really getting there. And price will come down with volume and technology advancement. There's no doubt about that. But I think all of those barriers can be overcome with time. But it's just a question of whether Australia actually wants to take advantage of the transition by creating some sort of industry ourselves or whether we'll just take from the rest of the world and try and make it easy for Australian consumers to purchase vehicles. But yeah, I mean, there are some challenges in high-rise developments for sure.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating space. Like on, on face value, I can't see any compelling reason as to why a country like Australia wouldn't be investing more heavily in a technology like EVs and and seeking to lead the world. I think one of the, the really interesting stats that popped out early on in the COVID crisis was that around Australia running around globally and seeking to shore up oil supply at the very beginning of of the COVID crisis and we shored up the oil supply but then we went in barrels in the US so we didn't even necessarily have the oil you know <laughs> in our own context right so it just it kind of beggars belief and then even then we were able to secure up a forward supply of oil but it was only something like 30 days worth of oil. And oils used for things beyond our transport needs. But it's sort of conceptually, it's interesting to me, like you, you were speaking earlier, for me, conceptually, one of the really interesting things about EVs, you know, as compared to an internal combustion engine where we go to the, the bowser and we fill up a car, it's very like one directional transaction. So you fill up a tank. Of fuel, and you've got this little internal combustion engine that essentially burns the fuel in your car, providing the energy to propel you along the road. And once that fuel's burnt, it's gone um, up, literally into a puff of smoke, that contributing to kind of exactly what it what, what what we want to stop more broadly. But for me, conceptually, the really interesting thing about EVs is kind of the multi-directional nature of, of that energy. And cars you know not only being charged with energy in order to to propel that car along the road but but the the integrated kind of potential of that car to exist within a broader system and for that car to be part of a, a broader energy solution that's network wide and I think for me that idea conceptually I know there's technical barriers and some really smart engineers working on ha- how to actually make that happen. But but conceptually, the idea of us having a much more integrated and interconnected network in the way that we view our energy requirements, both for our transport, for our homes, for our business, is, is something that is a really exciting part of EVs. To so the technical barriers, I guess, we've been exploring some of the technical barriers more directly, you know, with jet charge and with our with our latest project in South Melbourne, I think higher density inner city projects being really constrained with the amount of power that they have available. Do you wanna to talk to that a little bit for, for the listeners, just to give them a little bit of a rundown and maybe we can we can run into that?
1: Yeah, I think if we lay the groundwork a little bit about the power constraints, to give you to give everyone an idea, if you purchase an electric vehicle it's the equivalent in terms of energy consumption and demand to about a two bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. So in Australia it's quite interesting, we have almost a 1 to 1 relationship between car parks and apartments in multi-res. That's changing in some developments, but by and large people still want a car park for their apartment. That is unique. There's very other few other there's very few other countries where they provide a car park for every apartment. So if you think about all of the apartments in australia imagine if ev- overnight every single one of those apartments doubling energy consumption mm-hmm. right and when we hit 100 percent ev penetration that's actually what will happen because people will be part- charging in their own car spaces and you will see that which is why i think grid operators are starting to be prepared on what's to come because all of a sudden you know they're seeing these applications for power connections that are you know Fifty percent more, forty percent more than they used to be. Mm-hmm. On the same, at the same time, though, they want this because electric vehicles is the large last major load on the grid. Mm-hmm. Everything so far has, um, in the past ten years, has all been about taking demand out of the grid. Solar batteries, LED lighting, more efficient appliances. The last time a major load was added on was basically air conditioning and hot water systems. But even hot water systems being taken. Off into more kind of efficient heat pumps, um, and air conditioning is air conditioning. But electric vehicles is the biggest thing that they've got, and with a lot of grid operators, they rely on that for revenue. They rely on the electricity, the electrons flowing through the network to make money. So they like it. I was really interesting, kind of hearing what you were saying before about the car being part of a more integrated uh, system. For us at Jet charge certainly. We see the definition of a vehicle changing. We see the definition of a car changing. Mm -hmm. Right now, a car is purely an output of Mm kilometres. And it outputs kilometres very little of the time, like 10% of the time. 90% of the time, it's just sitting there and depending on what car you have, it either looks pretty or it looks pretty shit. Which makes it one of the most inefficient assets you can own. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Which is why a lot of people think we're going to move to pure shared mobility, because they point to this and say, well, the car's the most inefficient asset you can own. Therefore, we should all move to shared mobility, not only for traffic congestion, for environmental reasons, but also for economic reasons. But if a vehicle, electric vehicle, which is just batteries, right? if you're able to use that as a battery, any time that it's plugged in, it becomes the most efficient asset you can Mm own, right? And what's really interesting about cars is not only this thing where, okay, all of a sudden it outputs kilometres or kilowatt hours, and it does this 100% of the time, right? It does it at zero marginal cost. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is people pay full price for a car to utilise it for 10% of the time. They would also, all of a sudden be able to get 90% more value from the asset that they purchased, which then makes the car a really valuable asset. And we start to see the first bits of that already. Mm. So globally, and also we, JetCharge, are leading a project in the ACT with a bunch of other companies using these vehicles to stabilise. The- it gets a bit technical, but essentially when something happens on the grid, these vehicles that are plugged in, Nissan Leafs, they discharge into the grid to provide support to the grid they use during the day just as fleet vehicles nothing changes they just use them as they normally use them for, for the ACT government but when they're plugged in they use its batteries and by about 2025 2026 every single vehicle will be capable of this it'll be standard yeah.
2: So a good good example of that, I guess, is when you talk about smoothing out the grid. If you're generating power from wind and the wind stops blowing, then you need to get your power from somewhere else. So rather than ramping up your lawn, you go and draw on the energy that's stored in the Nissan Leaf network around around the state or around the country.
1: That's it. That's exactly right. But it, it goes further than that. Instead of, for example, the government saying to you on a really hot day, sometimes i don't know if you guys have gotten this but text from your electricity company saying hey consider reducing your energy use right in the future when you know we have 1.8 cars per household in australia we're a very car heavy country in the future where you do have vehicles in your garage you won't have to worry about that because you literally have like three to four days worth of household supply sitting in your car space Mm -hmm. you can just do whatever if you have solar on the roof, which if you're a homeowner, you probably will. It just, you become this renewables hub yourself. You're completely in charge of your own destiny in terms of how you generate or consume power. That kind of autonomy has never existed before. And it's something that is actually like perfectly in line with the concept of a car and how it epitomizes this image of freedom, right? So, you know, car manufacturers want you to think that if you have a car you will have freedom because you can drive anywhere, you can do anything, right? And that's going to be true for electricity as well. You will have that autonomy for the first time and freedom for the first time.
2: It's a really interesting way to think about it, particularly in the context of, say, you know, the recent storms that have hit Mount Danunong, right? So you own an electric vehicle, you've got it fully charged, sitting in the garage hooked up to your house. Potentially you've got some PVs up on the roof, so solar panels up on the roof. So power goes out, grid goes down for whatever reason, and you've got three, four days' worth of supply. You can live off your car literally. It's the ultimate freedom machine. It's a pretty interesting way of yes. thinking about it.
1: And it's and it's even kind of more important than that because it means that emergency services crews who are coming to help the community will drive their electric vehicle, will plug, they literally plug their cars in to set up their campsite or the emergency site and be able to provide people like just very basic things like, hey, charge your phone or you know heat a whole water bottle or you know have a shower or whatever right and that's exactly what they do in japan so japan having had the recent nuclear disaster and been being a very kind of disaster kind of natural disaster ridden country that's what they do they have electric vehicles that drive to site as first emergencies and set up the emergency sites using bi-directional charging And they say that every electric vehicle that's sold in Japan needs to have bi-directional capabilities and they subsidise their citizens to purchase these charging stations as well as the vehicles so that when disaster hits, they've got a backup system and it's not putting huge pressure on the grid.
2: And it's mobile, so you can
1: deploy it where you need it. That's exactly right. And so... The question then is, you know, you've got all these really cool use cases, but it doesn't actually rely on someone being educated enough to go out and make those decisions. It doesn't rely on someone doing all the research on battery storage and going out and buy it. You're just going out to buy a car, right? You don't know what it does. You just know that you need to drive from A to B. But that car will come with all the functionality, in the vehicle, so all it takes is a barbecue for your friend to go. Hey, are you using this car to power your house? Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, did you know that you can do this? You just buy this thing, put it on your wall. That's sweet. It's not. It's it's almost kind of good because it's not burdensome. It's not special. It just will be the norm, and that's what's going to drive the greatest amount of change. And it will make on-site renewables generation far more attractive. Far more attractive.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think I think like yeah, there's a lot of people that talk about shared ownership, and 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 you know, I I just think for me, you know, cars are such aspirational symbols uh, in in our society and in our culture, and it doesn't feel like that idea is going anywhere anytime soon maybe it will these things happen to change pretty quickly when they happen so maybe, maybe it will go in that direction but exactly what you're talking about now i think is is something that might actually underpin the success of the private automobile moving forward in that yeah, th- this idea of it as the ultimate freedom freedom machine when you start to think about the the potential of integrating you know integrating that benefit more broadly across the way that you use that benefit the vehicle turning it from a you know 90 percent 10% to 90%. and Flipping it on its head, it's a 90% productive asset, 10% idle asset, and we start to really, really benefit from from the potential of these things. For us, I think one of the really interesting things, one of the in- really interesting things, is thinking about broader notions of resilience. So, like we talk a lot about sustainability and, and climate impacts and the resilience of our urban frameworks and. You know, that example you just gave around Japan deploying emergency vehicles and having bi-directional capabilities is really fascinating. Definitely something I want to learn a little bit more about.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, resilience is key to us because we we were talking before about fuel security offline, I think, and it's... True, we have all that we need to supply the fuel in Australia for vehicles. If something were to happen to global supply chains, and for some reason it seems the world's just getting more and more destabilised by the day, I don't really understand why, but anyway, it is. And um, if anything were to happen to any kind of logistics, we're stuffed. Like there is just no, I was actually a part of a conference where they had a fuel security expert talking. And it was actually quite scary just how little fuel we have and the whole country would stop. But we generate our own electricity. And if you're thinking purely from a resilience and national security standpoint, you'd think that people would push for us to move to this direction as fast as possible. But we're not.
2: Yeah, it's sort of something's got to shake up the politics. I guess there was the, you know, the fuel security issues in the 70s there that, that shook the world into action on broader climate issues. Hopefully it doesn't come to that because definitely people will suffer.
1: But we have seen the first inklings of basically movement from governments. New South Wales announced... So, state governments. Yeah. yeah. New South Wales announced a major initiative on Sunday, almost $500 million for the EV sector to encourage people to switch over to electric vehicles and if we don't get really too much action from the federal government you know the federal government has provided some money for charging infrastructure and jet as a business has received investment from the Clean Energy Finance Corporation which yeah. is a federal government agency so they are doing some things but they, and I applaud them for that but the New South Wales government coming out with a $500 million package, it's like eight to nine times bigger than anything else that's been announced so far in Australia, including from the federal government.
2: So that was on stamp duty reductions, making it more cost-effective to buy and then also investing in charging infrastructure?
1: Yeah, that's right. So the majority of the funding is just to make EVs more affordable and they're going to be offering, I think, just over $3,000 for vehicles that are under $70,000. So really in, in stamp duty waiver for vehicles under 80 or they're about so nothing for like ultra luxury vehicles or anything they're trying to encourage more mass market vehicles to come into the market and for the vehicle manufacturers this is the kind of signal they need to bring more affordable electric vehicles on mass to the country because yeah. yeah. i think what people don't realize is that when you're a vehicle manufacturer in australia the departments here they have to make a business case to bring these vehicles out to their head office it's not like they say I'll have a thousand cars, please. And the head office just goes, yeah, sure, here you go.
2: So a little bit earlier, we, we were talking you know, about some of the challenges and there, there was sort of like this this broader network capacity side challenge to the AV problem to solve. And I know we've been doing quite a lot of work together, our businesses, our project for us in York in South Melbourne on how we go about providing for both current and future EV um, requirements within the context of our existing supply arrangements. And you've helped us out with some demand management technology that that we're seeking to install in order to future-proof the building. Essentially, as I understand it anyway... The technology enables or just basically make sure that that when all of the evs are plugged into the building that if the building's energy requirements outside of the energy requirements for the electric vehicles exceed a certain level that the electric vehicles stop being supplied so that the essential infrastructure within the building is prioritized and that evs are secondary which kind of goes to that point that you were talking about before around You know, it's good for the network because when everyone's asleep at night time and the the building's using less energy, the the EVs are getting their charge. And during the day, you know, 6pm, people are coming home, having showers, cooking, energy demand increases, EVs don't get charged. So network operators making money 24 hours a day. Good for them, right? I guess it's been a really fascinating fascinating exercise for us working with your business, understanding that model, building the, the technical capability into the business. Obviously, there's an ongoing management component to that. You've developed the technology to enable people to essentially pay for what they use rather than having to kind of get a arbitrary share of a broader pool of costs. So, you know, if one person has an EV and the other person doesn't, then they're charged for what they use, which is really great. So like, I guess more broadly, if you were to scale that up to, to, to the system scale, what, what sort of trends are you seeing that are flowing out of that building scale approach into how you're viewing the broader network?
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. The first is that the network has the same issues you do, but at a network level. So whereas you say, okay, well, I want to fit this many EVs into these buildings and make sure the building doesn't trip. The network goes, well, I want to service all of these buildings in my area, but I don't want my transformer to trip. And so... And then beyond them, the um, market operator is saying, well, we want to service all these EVs at a state level, but we don't want the zone substations to, like, so it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so all of that, though, relies on at least visibility and maybe some level of control from the distribution networks and the market operator onto the charging stations in these buildings. So what they will say is, hey, let's see what's going on in these buildings from these chargers, right? And in return for us going, hey, can we turn it down You know, 50% two days a year, three days a year, which is when the worst network effects are because it's hot day or whatever. In return for that, we'll give you really, really cheap charging year round. Right? So that's what's gonna happen and that's what we're helping to facilitate. But on top of that, the other great thing is that over time, instead of viewing the vehicle as something that they have to manage inside the building, they'll start seeing the vehicle as an asset in the building to draw upon when they're under a lot of pressure and so that's a really cool future to look forward to
0: we'll wrap up there but thank you so much for joining us
1: no thank you it was a pleasure
0: thank you for listening to this episode of hypecast if you're listening in on apple podcasts please subscribe and take a moment to leave a review